No, I can't tell you. I can't tell you. It's it's magic. I can't tell you how they do it because because nobody told me how they do it. Listen, I just got back from seeing The Thin Place at the Road Less Traveled Theater, 456 Main Street. Go to roadlesstraveledproductions.org and get your ticket for Lucas Nath's The Thin Place. I saw it last night. I'm still thinking about it. I'm still thinking about going back to see it again. It had that kind of effect on me. And it is... ah, It's a night at the theater of entertainment that you won't forget. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I had a great time. It it gives you some chills. Eh, not a lot. You know, don't worry about being scared or anything, but you do get a little chill up your spine every now and then. It's the thin place at Road Less Traveled. Wow, what a cast. What a great group of performers. Uh, Margaret Massman, Renee Landrigan, Kristen Tripp Kelly, David Mitchell. Wow, I've worked with all of them and I've never seen them better. Great group, so glad I saw it. And speaking of so glad, I'm so glad I got to bring you a conversation with John Rickus today. Now here's a guy I've wanted to talk to for quite a while. John Rickus has been with the Road Less Traveled Theater for almost 20, well, since 2003, since they began. I think he's, I think he has done lighting design for every show that they have done in every incarnation of the theater. That includes when they were just a, a wandering group to their home at the Market Arcade, to their other home at the Forbes Theater, to their new home at 456 Main Street. John Rickus has been there through it all, and his lighting designs have always, always impressed me, not the least of which was impressive last night when I saw The Thin Place. So John's going to be here, and, and we get a little technical from time to time because, well, frankly, that was my goal. I like giving people a peek at what's going on. I don't think everybody understands all the technical stuff that goes on behind the scenes. And talking to John Rickus, one of my goals was to talk about the overhead grid, all the pipes and the configurations that they're in on the ceiling that allow you to light any particular show. And and all of the different lighting instruments. I, I know some of you will find it dry and boring, but God, this kind of stuff fascinates me. So if you want to look Behind the scenes, uh, John Rickus is the guy to talk to. So let's talk to him right now here on RLTP's Off-Road. How come I didn't know you were a, 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 a head carpenter at UB? Yeah, I... I, I assumed you, know, you were... Lighting, right? Yeah. No. 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 As uh, this is the center for the, uh, excuse center me. for the arts center for the arts right? yeah has that always been your gig over there it is since 2002 my friend uh, Brian Sidorowitz at the time was the production manager there and he had done some work with Indigo Productions Indigo sure uh, and so I knew him for a long time and he, Ro- Romanowski and he knew me. yeah Romanowski. exactly yeah. exactly and and Brian saw me one day and said hey would you I, I know you're at Indigo but would you maybe want to come work at the center for for a year. I can't promise you anything, but it's just, you know, we got to fill in this position. And I, at the time uh, at Indigo, I loved working there. I worked there for like 15 years. But over the course, like that last couple of years, people were leaving around me and things were changing. The dynamic was different. Yeah, yeah. And I just thought, you know what? Yeah, I'll do that. 
the term head carpenter is sort of a misnomer. It's a carryover. You know, it's, okay. it's from just it's just a title for somebody whose responsibilities are uh, related to everything that happens on stage, loading oh. in a show, setting it up, organizing the, the the labor for the day, really, and managing like the real estate of the stage. The responsibilities also include rigging, which in some theaters there's head riggers. Head carpenters, head flymen, hmm. okay. yeah, where they can afford yeah, all of those at, at, at UBI, union gigs. Exactly, you'd be able to all three. And so, so whether it's no, a student no. production or they're bringing in Bruce Hornsby, yeah, yeah. no matter what's happening on that stage, you and your crew are determining not just where everything goes, but how to time manage it. Right, exactly, exactly. It is really just managing space and time. So the head carpenter thing, yeah, I do carpentry, and, and I, you know, <laughs> and my margin of error is about 40 feet. My, my carpentry looks good at 40 feet away. So, like, so, like, yeah. So, so now, where did the lighting thing come from then? Has that, was that always in your background? Is that what you went to Valparaiso for? Sort of, yeah. That was, uh, as early as I can remember, it started in, like, sixth grade. Sitting in a concert being put on during the day for the all the all for the school, and the chorus was singing a song about rainbows. And maybe I was, maybe I was in the chorus. I don't remember exactly. But <laughs> but all I remember is the song about rainbows. As we sang it, the lights were changing color with the, with when we would sing about different colors. And you that fascinated you. Oh, I was blown away by it. You know, like and lucky for me, my my across the street neighbor Don Weiss was a. Was doing the lights, and so he was like a, he was like a high school kid. So, that, so uh, he started. Back. So you said, well, I, I want to know about that. I did exactly, and and so he so he told me about it a little bit, and then I think maybe he told me about uh, when you get into junior high and in uh, high school there'll be AV clubs you can join. So I think that's kind of where it started, and then all through high school I think I got good at doing the AV jobs, mm-hmm. the old sixteen millimeter film projectors. I was real good at uh, setting those up for teachers. And so when all the other kids, <laughs> all the other kids were getting excited about being on stage and going, being in show business, you were interested in the technology. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the uh, when I got to high school, we were responsible for the uh, lighting and the sound in the um, in the auditorium. This is at Tonawanda High School. I see. And I, and I had a, uh, I had a, our AV instructor, Pete Hadley, he was there all, throughout my whole high school tenure there. He was a really good uh, influence on me, too. And then uh, a lot of good choral teachers of differing levels of theatrical interest and, and ambition were there throughout the years, too. So you were one of those guys who would push around the cart into with the TV and the VCR on it to the classrooms? Yes, and, and cool. worry about tipping it over in the hallways. Yes, exactly. <laughs> those things were heavy TVs and top-heavy. Yeah, yeah top-heavy, top right. Exactly. All you needed to do was hit one bump in the floor and the whole thing exactly, exactly. never happened to you, though, did it? But no, no, it didn't. <laughs> and I got into video, being in the AV, I was also responsible for videotaping sports. Mm-hmm. So football, I would uh, I would go to every game for football. Oh, I with, gotcha. With this big camera, right? And his three quarter right. deck, you the, know. The, was it umatic? Yes, three quarter umatic. Umatic, yep, yep. exactly. Yep. And I'd haul that up to the booth of wherever I was. <laughs> Weighed three hundred pounds. Exactly, and I'd, <laughs> I'd shoot every game, and then I'd get back to the school after the game, and uh, in real time, copy two tapes over for the coaches. So. So not only did the game, I did like four hours after the game. Oh, <laughs> was, was it strictly for the coaches? You weren't like they weren't broadcasting. No, yeah, just it. coaches. I say broadcasting. It was just they yeah, were replaying it, was, it for. It was just for coaches. Yeah, but but I, I really liked doing the the stuff in the auditorium though. Mm-hmm. I was drawn to to especially lighting. 
and we didn't have a you know at the time it wasn't very high tech at all. We had just no. gotten we had just gotten a new light board, which by today's standards is was nothing. It was well, was it know. the first computer? No, not even. See, because no. you know yeah. I was a high school teacher. I and I directed the musicals and stuff. We had one of those giant boards where oh yeah you pull down yep. like this with a. With That's what we had. It got replaced by this this long forty eight <laughs> channels. For us, it was like a huge you know a difference. Uh, uh, what, a, what an upgrade for yeah, ours! Think, you couldn't exactly. do a blackout. Unless you grabbed the oh. top dimmer, the bottom dimmer, oh, yeah. you put your your foot knee over this one. Use, use a broomstick. And, yeah. <laughs> and you, that was yeah. the only way you could get all the things yeah. out at once. Yeah. My, uh, oh, man. My friend Harry, who who uh, just retired from UB, he was the ME at UB for years. Harry Mandras, he, he he was here the other day helping helping me uh, with, with this show. He recalls going to see a show in New York. It might have been Equus, like uh, like the original sure. production. The original, yeah. 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 And he says he remembers the ending, the blackout of that show yeah. was there was a resounding crash of all those bars. Oh, you know? yes, and, yes. And like he knew what it was. Yes. And when he talked about it with his friends, they were like, no, we didn't hear anything. I'm like, <laughs> how could you not hear anything? It's like, you know. And for those of you who don't yeah. know what I'm talking about, yeah. these yeah. we're talking about something that looked like- Mechanical. Like, like, a, uh, like your forearm. That's how big it was. Mm-hmm. It was and like closing had... the gates. It was like closing floodgates. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So you went to, to college right for that, for theater tech or something? Well, that-, well, that you, Indigo started before college too, so there was there was a, there oh, was a. There, I, I met Joe when he came to do a dance recital at Tonawanda High School. So mm. so he, he he loaded in something and and it was getting near the end of the spring semester in my senior year when he, when he saw that I could do stuff and I was a responsible person. He he said, hey, "What are you doing for the summer? Do you want to do you want to work? You know, Melody Fair's opening up again, mm-hmm. and I'm going to be in charge of it again because that was his gig for a while before yeah. it, before it closed." I said I got no plans. <laughs> so I so he gave me his card and I called him up and uh and he, and he put me to work. So so what were you doing what were you doing for him? The first gig was funny because he sent me and my friend Kevin uh Newman to go set up at a fashion show at the Holiday Inn on Niagara okay. in Niagara Falls, like right on the river there, yeah. you know, right by the bridge. And uh uh he was going to meet us there with some staging, but we were bringing we were taking his van Full of sound and lighting, and uh, just to set up a simple system, we were just going to meet him there. So we we get there, and and then, long story short, he couldn't make it there. He had car troubles. He couldn't get the staging there, and this is before cell phones. So we're going to pay phones and trying to get yeah, a hold of him. Yeah. And the client's getting nervous. And the last message was just just open the van and just do what you can. Mm. You know. So so we were like, <laughs> so we talked to the lady. We're like we're like sorry, but we're going to have to set this up. I know you talked to Joe, but we'll. We'll get you going. So we we found some staging in the hotel somewhere. We set that up and and just, just some risers and things. Uh, yeah, exactly. Just like just a runway and a few. Yeah, it was yeah, real yeah. simple. It was real simple. But did, uh, I didn't realize that Indigo did. They didn't do just lighting and sound. No. Did they also do staging? Everything. Yes, yeah, staging, the lighting, and sound. And, yep, and now oh. video and special effects. When big acts came to town, they often would set up, you know, if they were doing a show out in the middle of, of uh, Niawanda Park or something, yep. Yep. They, they would be in charge of that. I didn't realize that they would would do all of that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so we, did, so we did all that stuff that day, the two mm-hmm. of us, high school students. <laughs> and we're like, what did we get into here? We're like, you know, and so we did the show. It didn't go off without a hitch, but it went off. Yeah, yeah. And we packed up and brought it back to Joe, and he apologized and said, "Well, you know, I'll call you again." And he he kept calling. I kept working. Yeah. And so that summer at Melody Fair, it reopened in '87. We did almost 60 shows that summer. Holy cow! Because it was because Melody Fair at the time it, it was in the round, right? Yes, of course, I remember. And all the acts from like the 
oh gosh, 50s, 60s, 70s, right? They, they had all played in the rounds all over the Northeast. So they do this circuit when they hit the Northeast and yes. they would do all these, these these in the rounds. And performers, the older performers from the 60s and 70s, 80s, knew how to do the rounds. You mm-hmm. know, they would, they would, they would I saw Neil would Sadaka spin. there. Yeah. That, that was, exactly. speaking of an old guy, go ahead. Exactly, Neil Sadaka, Paul Anka, Tom Jones, Tom, uh, Don Rickles. Yes. Uh, you know, they, so many. Robert Goulet yes. saw there. Yes, yes, so many. So, so Harry it, Chapin. So here I am, this young kid, just out of high school, and, <laughs> and I'm getting a crash course in old school entertainment. Yes. You know, and I'm there all day. You know, we get there at like at 10 in the morning. We load in whatever they have. We set up stuff. We go paint some things because we're also, you know, maintaining the place a little bit, you yeah. know. and uh, uh, Whatever needed. Whatever needed. Right. Right. Exactly. And then <laughs> and then the show might require some stage hands, but more times than not, you just kind of sat and either watched the show from the booth or hung out somewhere. You know, we had a shed somewhere we'd hang out in. Yeah. And then after the show, take it all down yeah. and leave it like 11 o'clock midnight. Where did they store all of this stuff? Well, I mean, a lot of the stuff was just would go on semi-trailers and go with them, you mm-hmm. know. And then the gear we had was just there, you know, hanging kind of permanently, you know, yeah, for the yeah. Melody Fair. And then, and then here, here's the best part. Yeah. 25 bucks a day. Oh. <laughs> that was, that was, we were raking it in then. Oh, man. Oh, well, for a, for a high school kid back then, it was uh, exactly. it, it, pretty decent money. Exactly. Uh, once in a while, I would go on the road with Joe, and I would be like the stagehand to help load the sound in. In, in these different venues around the Northeast. And you so, go on the road with them? How old were you then? I was, I was like just out 18? of high school. Yeah, just out of high school, in between college, you know, because I went to college right away, but in the summers leading up to it, I would. I would did did your folks say, I don't want you hanging around with those it, show business It was types. Joe because they met Joe. Joe was a great guy. You know, like, yeah, yeah, Joe was a nice guy. He's such he, a great he guy. really was. And <laughs> like at Melody Fair, specifically talking about lighting influences too, uh, Fred Carner uh, was the IATSE. Niagara Union Union uh, rep that that was his job. So, oh. so he was at Melody Fair for years as the lighting director, mm-hmm. and so when it reopened, he got that job again, and and I got to know Fred pretty well working there for many years, and uh, uh, and so he would be in charge of the house plot. You okay. Know? So so at Melody Fair we had we had a, we had general lighting covering. All the way All around. From we had some from color washes. Yep. Yeah, we had some specials. And then, then sometimes a group would come in with their own person that would want to run the lights because they knew the show better. They might be sure. more cue intensive. Sure. You know, so, was, you know. so I got to meet a lot of, you know, not only not only be around a lot of neat, neat entertainment, but be around a lot of uh, interesting professional tech people, too, yeah, yeah. at that time. How did you, you narrow know. it down in your head to, okay, lighting is the thing that most attracts me? That's a good question, a gradual thing that just slowly, or is it the creativity of it? I guess I, I must just be more visual, you know, I, because I, I did a lot of sound, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in the early days too, but just doing everything. But lighting really kind of got my interest up, I think. Well, and, as opposed know. to sound reinforcement, which is what you're doing most of the time, and not well, like what Katie does here, mm-hmm. where she has to create different sounds and sound effects and mm-hmm. so on. Mm-hmm. You're just doing raising up the microphone and getting the volume up on the speakers. Lighting gave more opportunity for creative visual. Uh, creative yeah, maybe creativity. Maybe yeah, yeah. It just I think it was just early on. Just I I don't know. I I think I I uh, I just had a flashback to playing as a kid with the. Um, they were colored plastic uh, inter- interlocking uh, like a pieces. Sort of no, they're like they're like blocks that you could lock oh, together. Okay, okay. And I and I have a memory of like putting one over one of a, a light bulb in the kitchen or in the bathroom, sort of like this. You know, like <laughs> we're seen there, and. And I left it on, and it was an old incandescent bulb, and so it melted all of it. You know? so, <laughs> so like, Johnny, exactly, exactly. So I have, you know, so yeah. So I think 
that and just a uh, oh photography too. All through high school, I was into photography. Uh, oh. I, I got my first thirty-five millimeter when I was like uh, a, a Practica MTL three, I think it was, or MTL four camera. I got that when I was in eighth grade, I think. Mm-hmm. And then my high school uh, was you working for the yearbook. Was a, yes, so mm-hmm. so so I was kind of lucky because the high school. Uh, seniors, juniors and seniors didn't have a lot of photographers. So like right away in ninth grade, I took photography classes. I kind of like forced my way into it. They, they they didn't really offer it to ninth graders, but I was like, I really want to take it. I really yeah, want to take yeah, it. Yeah. And I, th- I think maybe the deal was if you could take it, but you got to be a yearbook photographer. <laughs> you know, so okay. like, whatever. Yeah. So I'd get my roll of film. I'd go shoot cross country. I'd go shoot tennis, you know. So for, for four years, I was a photographer. And so I started getting... I took classes every year. I got better at developing. I got better at, at you know, doing the art side of it, too. Mm-hmm. So I think that's probably where it came. That must have been where it came from, too. It's just yeah, like, it sounds like there's a lot of visual. Yeah. From, from videotaping the football games. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of stuff that's that's visual and not sound-oriented exactly. and, and that attracted you. So now you go to Valparaiso. Is, is that your focus? I was either going to go to Fredonia or Valparaiso. And mm-hmm. so we were looking at both schools. At the time, uh, Valparaiso being a affiliated with the, the Lutheran Church, and my dad a Lutheran, was a Lutheran pastor. Oh. So they were giving incredible breaks to children of Lutheran pastors cool. <laughs> to, to go there. Yeah. And so we looked at it and went, hey, that's like cheaper than a state school. Let's do that. They had a good, you they know, had a decent program that you... No. That, <laughs> Fredonia was probably a much better theater program. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> but, but as a liberal, it's all about the Benjamins. As, as, oh yeah, as a liberal arts college, it was it was really a really a fantastic school, and I kind of fell into a lull in their tech department in the theater department when hmm. I got there. Also, so the same way that I became a photographer in ninth grade for the yearbook. When I got there as a freshman at university, they didn't have anybody to do the lighting for shows coming up. Oh. And I and I I could do lighting. Yeah. You know, so so I kind of made inroads into the theater department right away and became valuable uh, for productions. There were there are a few seniors I was working under initially, but then like my by my sophomore year, it was just me and a bunch of my cohort in, in my level, and and we were just doing everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a, a professor Pick was his name was the technical advisor, the technical director for the department. So I'd work under him. Uh, I'd also work in our shop, which was, we had a space that was pretty similar to the size of Road Has Traveled, hmm. including grid height. Hmm. So it really wasn't, it really wasn't a, a high-tech, yeah, it wasn't yeah. a high-tech space, but it was our space. We could do whatever we wanted in it. It had about 80 seats tiered, sort of like here. Mm-hmm. It had a permanent stage. And instead of like a full grid like we have here, it had the the barn trussels, you know, okay. the curved, it had a curved roof. Okay. And it had the barn trussels that you could that I ended up being able to walk on. So I would just walk along those, bend down, focus to, lights. To focus. Oh, that's... You know, exactly. And you're only like only 15 feet above the stage. You know, <laughs> what's going to happen if I fall? You what know, could happen? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> now, so was it part of a theater program? Yeah, it was. So, yeah. So so there was a communications department at Valparaiso. So I, I was in, it was technically called uh, television and theater arts mm-hmm. within the communications department. Okay. So that was my... That was as kind of a split emphasis. So I kind of like that. I was like, okay, I'll do video and and theater. Uh-huh. You know, so at the time there was a new television studio that was built on campus. So I got a lot of work in there with more higher tech video stuff at the time. Really wasn't that high tech, but it was <laughs> for the time <laughs> for it was. The time for it the was. time it was, exactly. Yeah. But in the same way that like uh in high school, how like we were given all this responsibility early on for to do A V and 
get, getting that at college, I think I just my my time and my energies just started getting more devoted towards theater mm. and live events. Yes, and then I also kind of fell into the student union committees that ran the nightclubs and the movies and concerts, and so. I, I became really involved with them because that was kind of like working for Indigo. That was the, the student union had a couple PA systems that had some lighting. While I was there, we created a nightclub that took place every uh, once a month or in, uh, on, a, on a Saturday night. We converted the union hall into a nightclub, and so we bought lights for that, and we would we would DJ that and run that. And so so I was doing a lot of stuff that was very similar to Indigo, and then I was having to do a lot of lighting and theatrical work mm-hmm. and set building over here and then oh yeah 18 credits uh, i gotta do some homework <laughs> so there was a lot of <laughs> oops i forgot it's also college exactly exactly so i i i graduated i i passed i oh, i i congratulations I was, I was no uh, i was no uh, <laughs> belated I, I i was no uh, uh high high mark earner but uh, but but i did but i did a lot yeah. i mean just like a lot. Well, you know? now let me ask this because I, I really don't know about this in college. I, I didn't take any of this stuff in college. I didn't even have any connection to theater in college. D- do they give you like a very formal instruction on the instruments and, and electricity and wiring? And was that all part of a they, a good program should do that? Yes. Okay. <laughs> you, 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 a good program should do that. Um, so, did you experience we, that, John? I got I got introduced to the to the system that was in place there, and so like it wasn't what necessarily was happening in the world. Mm-hmm. But it's what it, they had. it's what they had, and this is how it works. I remember I remember that that first week I got a tour of the shop from the from the senior tech person at the time, Stephanie. I can't remember her last name, but she was graduating, mm-hmm. and she, but she was like, uh, she was she was doing what I would end up doing there. For the next few years, and and she's giving me a tour of the shop, and she's showing me the different tools and stuff. She's showing me that they they actually had a hot pot for the glue. I mean, this is like the old horse glue. Oh my goodness! (laughs) That you had to keep hot all the time. All the time, exactly. And uh, (laughs) otherwise, it would just turn into a brick. Exactly. And when we were done, I said, "Oh." I said, where, where, where are the screw guns at? Because at Indigo, we had just started using screw guns for everything. Oh, know, yeah. Like, and Big innovation. Oh, exactly, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And she goes, she pulls out, she goes, oh, this? And she pulls out a Yankee driver. I don't know if you know what a Yankee <laughs> driver is, but it's just a spiral screwdriver. I, I had one. Yeah. Yep, I know exactly what it is. Not powered at all. You just physically push it and mm-hmm. it spins it. Yep. And I was like, no. Uh, I mean, electric. I like it, Makita. Like, yeah. And she goes, no, we, no. We, Black and Deckers. We, we, we hammer everything. And like, oh, staples, hammers, muslin, <sighs> old school set construction. The double-headed ham- uh, nails. Yeah, right. So you could pull them back mm-hmm. out of it. Yeah, yeah, that. Wow. And so uh, it was sort of, I don't want to say, I guess it, it was sort of a step back from what I was doing leading up to college. Mm, in a way, te- yeah. Technically. Yeah. But then... What made up for it was the art side of it. We had several good professors, and the choices of plays were challenging and really eye-opening for me because coming from Oklahoma and Pajama Game, you know, and, mm-hmm. and dance recitals and fashion shows. All of a sudden, you know. you're doing exactly, yeah, and now we're challenging. Doing, exactly, works. exactly. And like, like I'm, I'm blanking on them now, but I have in my, in my head I can see them. We did a version of uh, Lysistrata. Wow, which I acted in. Oh, congratulations. I had a large part. Wow. I'm, I'm That's all I'm going to say. That, that was my one acting role in college. Actually, no, I had two roles. I acted in um, a small production of Glengarry Glen Ross. Oh. Yeah. I, I played Aaron now. 
Okay. So I did two things in college acting, and that was enough for me. That was that was plenty. <laughs> except except when I got back when I got back from school, and Joe and 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 Kathy Cross, the you know uh, Joe and Kathy own Indigo, they heard I I did theater and acted in some things. Uh oh. And they were starting to do children's theater. Oh. So I got cast in in several roles at children's theater at Melody Fair. Oh. Geez. So if so if if during the late eighties and early nineties you saw children's theater at Melody Fair, you probably saw me playing a prince. A beast, a villain, uh, many different things. All, all yeah. better than the usual tree and rock. That, that, exactly. Uh, uh, here's another question about, about lighting education. Did they also get into, here's how to analyze a script and determine what you need did they talk about yeah, that? Well, yeah, oh, yeah. Every department teaches their students how, how their stuff works. And, and some have more high-tech equipment and, others, and, teach, yeah. and teach more of like what's going on in the industry. Like UB has a lot of higher-end equipment, and they do a lot more training on, on kind of the state-of-the-art you know, that, that, that's going on right now. Mm-hmm. But at, at school also, yes, there, was, there were play directing classes. I think I, I took a play directing class. I had to direct some, a couple short pieces, I think, for the final. Mm-hmm. I still have a really good book about play directing that I've referenced once in a while. I still can't read a script and go, oh, this is going to be a great play. I, I just can't do it. I can't either. I, can't. <laughs> I, I, I hate that the, the job that Scott has yes. to, to read scripts and decide which plays you're going to do. Wow. Yeah. I, no. It's so hard. That's why I like those nights we get together and have scripts read and we mm-hmm. all talk about them. Mm-hmm. It, just to hear the voices reading, it makes such a huge difference. So, yeah. So I had some formal training in play directing and how to approach scripts. So, so you did learn about Yeah, that. yeah. And there was also other communications classes I was taking to. Uh, I remember a personal, interpersonal communication class was really big for me. I remember that the gist of that class was, was just learning. It was it was a simple? I mean, looking back on it, the concept was simple. It really was just teaching you how to see things from other perspectives. Hmm. You know. Okay. But super important concept, especially for theater people. So like working in live entertainment, I think I've, I did enough stuff early on to realize that your perspective from a design standpoint has to respect the perspective of the audience you know so like you're not designing in a void you're designing for a space that has 80 people sitting in 80 very specific spots and so from a design standpoint especially for lighting or anything visual and or for anything audio too video you need to really remember how people are seeing it can everybody see the whole stage floor you know is it raked is it flat if it isn't raked, then don't do a lot of stuff on the floor. You know, keep it keep it up higher. What's it like from you this know? angle? What's it like from this angle? Mm-hmm. What's it like from this high up? Yeah, exactly. What's it like from the floor level? Exactly. So through college and through communications classes and things like that, and maybe just the idea of photography too being a your one perspective, mm-hmm. but you're always were concerned about composition and and what what you saw and the angles you mm-hmm. know that you, mm-hmm. that that you lined up with, and there was also something about live entertainment in general that just fascinated me. And the, the, the little bit of dabbling I did with acting and being on stage and kind of getting a taste for that relation, that direct relationship with an audience, terrifying for me, <laughs> but <laughs> but also eye-opening, I think, because I, I, I always knew there was that relationship. And from early on, I didn't realize it, but I was training to be a servant to that relationship in my in my job. You Interesting. Know? So over the last like 20 years or so, I've, I really have come to like realize that my job has been keeping that relationship healthy between performer and an audience member. What an interesting way of looking at yeah. it. Yeah, and so because and it's like there's somebody, somebody is coming to that stage that has something, 
an audience wants to see, hear, or experience. And so there's going to be a relationship, and it's going to happen at a particular time, in a particular place, and it's there's a there's a ritual thing to it a little bit. The house lights dimming, you know the yeah. you know the, the curtain going up, and but once that performer's on stage and starts really uh, connecting with the audience, and the audience connecting with them, because I, I can from what I've heard from performers and different different uh, actors and stuff. I mean, you really do feed off of a audience, right? Aud- yeah. There are different audiences, yeah. aren't there? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like, yeah, and if you try to duplicate one night where you say. Oh my God, that audience was great tonight. It really pumped us out of a certain kind of energy, and it made me perform in a certain—not not perform in a certain way. You're right. always trying to do your best, but the way you react even to other characters, it changes depending on how the audience reacts yeah, to, to your reaction. Yeah. So that that does change. And I'll tell you something else: the lighting affects it too. There's nothing more fun for me than that first tech day sure. when sure. everything is just suddenly, not even if it's finished, because it's not going to be finished. Yeah. You're still, you know, you're still working on oh, stuff. Yeah. But to get out there and all of a sudden you're not looking at seats. Under you're under look, fluorescent lights. You're right. Yeah, you're yeah, you're yeah. looking at a, out into the black and there's lighting on you and you can feel it and you're looking mm-hmm. around and you can see it on other people. It changes everything. It, it's just so damn exciting. Yeah, it I, really is. I, I just ran across a quote by by uh, Jean Rosenthal. I don't know if you know that name or not. No, I she's don't. she's considered like the grandmother of stage lighting. Really? Uh, uh, she, she, I thought it was McCandless. It, it, yeah, she's almost like a temporary McCandless. I think. I mean, she was like back in the '30s, '40s, really '50s, maybe. I think she wrote a really important book on for life. Me, I can't remember the name of it exactly. Probably was just something as simple as like stage lighting. Mm-hmm. But one of the quotes from her is: uh, "Lighting designers create." Could be getting it wrong, but, I, you know, but I'm going to say it. Lighting designers create the air that actors breathe. Oh, that's cool, right? That is it, it, cool. And I read that the other day, and I was like, I was like, oh yeah, that, it, and that's just what you're talking about. Yeah. It's like there's multiple reasons to have lighting on stage. One is so you don't trip over anything, right? <laughs> you know, you know, <laughs> on a very basic level. Yeah. But the uh, helping to create that environment and give you guys another uh, gals uh, another another boost to your performance. Really, it, and it's true. It's like mm-hmm. it's like I really look forward to those days too, getting everybody on stage. Yeah. Yeah. And starting to see it in real time in the real space, and and then starting to carve out. The shadows. A lot of people say you're called a lighting designer, but I think most lighting designers would also argue that we're also shadow designers. You know, we're like, you yeah, know, that's you're, you're taking things away. Yes. You know, because a lot of times, a lot of times, new newer lighting people will just keep adding, 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 adding. Mm. You know, and it's just like sometimes you just gotta start taking away, strategically put shadows in places. You know, <laughs> uh, it's like a sculpture. You, you just oh, yeah. you take away everything that doesn't look like exactly. the thinker. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Doesn't... And then, and, and I think, I think, I think, growing up through through college at the department I went to, that didn't have a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. You may do with what you had. Yeah. You know, and like we would have. Um, we would repatch stuff during scene changes to get more dimmers. Yes, to, right. To, to, to Did you even have like a two scene preset in those days? Uh, we had, I think, a four scene preset. So we four could, scene. yes, it's right. a luxury. Exactly. So we had, I remember the first show I did and I had to cue. The director was like, okay, you got that cue written down? I was like, um, <laughs> what do I write it down on? He goes, oh, hang on. He came up. He's like, here, he pulls out these sheets out of a drawer. It's like, it was like the four scene presets. He said, here, here's how you mark it. And I was like, the basics of writing down cues. Yeah, I just yeah. didn't have it at the time. So yeah. let me just explain mm-hmm. and, and tell me if, if this is correct. So a two-scene preset, which is the, the only thing I ever had. <laughs> uh, actually, it was a one-scene from one. But a two-scene preset, you'd have a, a scene going on, but over here you had a second set of dimmers for the next scene 
already set up. Yeah. So what would yeah. happen is as you switch from the other scene, you just you crossfade. You crossfade from X to Y, yeah. and now you're using a different set of dimmers. Yeah. While that scene is on, you're yeah. changing this setting. Yeah, over and it wasn't. Here. Yeah, it wasn't necessarily a different set of dimmers. Like like say you only had twelve dimmers mm-hmm. and you had twelve channels for those. Channel one is dimmer one on on this fader bank, but then. Channel one on the other fader bank is also dimmer one. Okay. So depending on where you crossfaded between those two presets, was which one was controlling? It was controlling different yeah. instruments, different yeah. lights, right, as, right, as well. Right. So now that brings us to the question of what's. <laughs> well, actually, I've jumped way ahead. <laughs> I didn't even get to what I wanted, really wanted to talk to you about today, which is, you've you've uh, been with Roadless Travel since the beginning. Yeah. Since two thousand. That was also through Indigo. I met Scott. Is that right? Yeah, they. they uh, Frank Chekla was directing at Amherst High School. Yep, I remember that name. Yep, him and uh, Posey. Why can't I remember her last name? But she was the choral teacher. They brought us in to do lighting there. For years, uh, Unistage had been doing it. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, they wanted to change. So we came in and we did a lighting package. And I think Scott might have been a sophomore at that time maybe or something and mm-hmm. and matt matt witten was there matt Whitten, yep. and a lot of people were there at that time yeah Kristen, chris right right the question is where you first met scott yes yeah but i hadn't met I, my actual question yeah. was so you've gone through all these incarnations of roadless travel yes you know from being almost like a wandering gypsy mm-hmm. company mm-hmm. and working with different lighting systems in every like at the new phoenix yeah and at the, all the different places yeah. and then you designed the grid for Market Arcade, and yes. then you designed the one over at the, at the Forbes Theater. The Forbes Theater, yep. and then you designed this one yes. here. Yes, yes, <laughs> which I understand is still not high enough. Exactly. No, no, it's as high as we could go. Yeah, because we, of the there's an air duct that, they, that we actually got them to move. Oh, but they also have fire. Uh, there's mean, fire suppression yep, that's yep. about 18 inches above our grid, <laughs> and and there's there's heavy duty steel beams that are also about maybe two feet above our grid. Yeah. So you really can't go up any higher. Yeah. yeah. And and what's wrong with not being high enough? Shadows. The you, well, you would think having a shorter grid would make set designers respect the fact you can't go that high. But <laughs> but <laughs> Diane wrong. Diane Lynn, I I I I love you people. You love them both. I <laughs> but but they're always pushing the boundaries of, of height and width of a space. Mm-hmm. So the higher you go, the more you can add in borders and framing techniques to compensate for the different heights of your sets. The benefit of having height is that you can make it smaller. You know, you can't make something that's small bigger. You know, <laughs> just good point. Yeah. Good point. What about a show like The Thin Place, where you have there? There's no set out there. It's two chairs. Yeah. Is that yeah. a bigger challenge, or does that give you like free reign and oh, I love this? Or would you prefer to have a box set or something? I I really enjoyed this show because it really was isolated to a rug, two chairs, and a little bit around the rug, mm-hmm. and so. I didn't have to light the whole space. Hmm. And we knew that going in. A lot of times a wide open set, you'll talk to the director about blocking and you'll go see maybe a designer run and you'll think you'll know where things are going and then you get on the space (laughs) and all of a sudden, oh, hey, we can go over here now. It's like, well, okay, you can. But I need to add more lighting. I got to get another ladder out. Exactly, yeah. and then you start spreading your resources. Yes, you know, <laughs> and so and so like for this show, I was able to devote a lot of our newer instruments. We've been switching over to to LED color changing instruments mm-hmm. over the last few years. And these are instruments that are not only more efficient because they're LED, but they also have built in 
color shifting gel sort of thing. Well, not even. It's just it, it's the LED technology. Like like imagine like the Lecos that produce a spotlight that you yes. can frame. Mm-hmm. You know, they have a light bulb in them that makes a certain color temperature of light, and then that projects through all the glass, through gobos, whatever you know, mm-hmm. and and creates. A white light that you then put gels in front of. That's okay. the old school method, right? But the but the LEDs change the, color. They, they have an engine. They have an LED engine that actually has almost. I think it might have five different LED chips that produce red, green, blue, a lime green, and a a deep blue. And there might be a white one too. So there might be six chips. Mm-hmm. So there's a combination of all these colors creating a million different colors. So, so that's now, what I was going to say. You, you're yeah. saying red, green, blue, but yeah. those are the colors of the spectrum that create yes the so, same ones that do your color TV, right? RBG, the red, blue, green, exactly. And, and every color is formed from those. So, so the the old incandescent light, you had one cable going to it, and it was power, <laughs> and you hooked that up to a dimmer, and you you controlled it from zero to hundred, yes. and that was all the control you had over it. Besides being able to focus it and change the the shape, but with the LEDs now, the power cable plugs into just straight power. It's like a it's like a refrigerator. It's like you don't want that power to turn off ever during a show. So all our LED units are plugged into just straight we, we call it hot power or utility circuit. Mm-hmm. It's non-dimming. It just powers that unit and then there's a small signal cable that that via a 5-pin cable. So it looks like a mic jack, like an XLR mic jack, yes. but it's got five five little pins in it and that delivers digital information that controls all the different parameters inside that light from from the mixing of those like five or six or seven different LEDs in them to also controlling, there's different curves, uh, dimmer curves the light can have that Mm -hmm. can, it can mimic old school incandescent lights that as you dimmed them, they would stay hot. You would never get an instant blackout with the incandescent because you would blackout, and, and if there were enough lights, glow. yeah, there's a glow, and yeah. then that would slowly die down. <laughs> you can mimic that with the new LEDs. So if you really like that as a feature of lighting, oh, and you could you could change the dimmer curve on all your lights to, to kind of recreate that because LEDs will just blackout, you know, so you can, and you can have that option too. Wow. So so now we've gone from you know just having one form of control over a light to having hundreds of ways to control a light and now you add all those lights all over the place and they all have individual addresses now you've got thousands of ways to control and are these also uh, the lights. lights that move uh, well, yeah. of their own uh, yeah yeah say yeah and you so, can mo- so, make, them, make them move right we we have three of those and it's the same thing as it, it's basically a Leco with a with servo motors that move them on an x and y axis and then also can do can also change gobos on the inside you know gobos are just patterns that that the light projects through right so so if you need leaves or if you need something yes. that looks like a window right. it makes a shadow on the floor or on the wall or wherever exactly. to make it look like there's a wind you're looking through a window do all these options make you crazy because now you feel like you should use them or is yeah. it great to have all these choices no it it, it can it could be overwhelming yeah. <laughs> and i think to newer students and newer lighting people coming up now yeah I think it is overwhelming. That's why, you know, it, like like at UB, they really try to have an emphasis on design in general. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, you should know how lights work, but you also should know how art works. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. you know. Cause you, Just because you have all of these things yeah. that you can do. But what are you going to do with them? mean you should do. Right, right. And you don't it, have to use a color oh, shift every two seconds in a scene. Exactly, exactly. Interesting. I think all lighting people, or especially younger lighting people, would really benefit from watching, I, I remember when Taylor, Paul Taylor Dance came through uh, mm-hmm. UB years ago, years ago, before I even worked there, so like probably late late 90s. I noticed the name on the program as the lighting designer, very famous lighting designer, gosh, was, uh, I think it was uh, 
a woman, I don't know if it was Theron Musser or, ah, it doesn't matter. I mean, it matters, but it, but I remember seeing the program going, oh my God, I'm seeing a lighting design by someone by I've read about. famous person. Exactly. Yeah. And the dancing was incredible. It was Paul Taylor. Of course, it was awesome. And at the time, the, the crew at, at UB had the plot, the original plot, and they, with, along with the lighting director from Taylor, they recreated that plot for our space. Mm-hmm. And the queuing was all written out in a book the stage manager had that was the original queuing. Wow. So you were seeing not only the original choreography, but you're seeing the original intent of the lighting designer. And this was before LEDs and stuff, too. So it was all incandescent. It was all basically the same lights that they designed with years ago. You know? mm-hmm. And I remember just being blown away by it. You know, And then after the show, of course, I knew people at the center. So I kind of walked down on stage. I was talking with them. I look up at the plot. There's nothing up there. I mean, it's like I was expecting to see hundreds of lights. But it was minimal. 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 Huh. And then I looked at the plot that they had there because they had a paper version of it. And sure enough, it was like so basic. And just like uh, that always stuck with me. It's but just like, what they did with it. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. So it's so it's there can be this pressure to like you've got all the bells and whistles. We better use them, you yeah. know, or, you know, like I think in this show here, we have three moving lights and they're used throughout almost the entire show. Never moving. I just okay. I, I used them as three very big, expensive yeah. Lecos. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And occasionally I kind of tweaked them a little bit to cover some different areas, like the party scene. I think I kind of went a little bit wider maybe. I changed maybe the slight color temperatures of them. Or, you know, like we, we did very subtle stuff with this one. Un- unlike then, Mysterious Circumstances. Exactly. You had lights following exactly. Exactly. almost like a follow spot. Exactly. And then there's one scene near the end where I did add in a very subtle movement cue. And if anybody sees it, tell me, because it's like, it's very subtle. Mm-hmm. And so, and that was on purpose. So yeah, so there's, it could be intimidating to have a million choices, yeah. you know? And and, and uh, there was, an, it's funny, speaking of famous quotes, I think in the same program I was watching, there was a quote from Richard, uh, Richard Pilbrow, who was another famous lighting designer from England. I think his quote was something about, one light hanging in the correct position is worth 100 lights hanging in the wrong position. <laughs> And so, and so that kind of goes back to our talk about height of grid here. You know, like the reason that we kind of put our grid in with like every four feet there's a pipe. And that then that means that we can put a light anywhere because then we could straddle pipes over those spaces and get, you know, and easily put lights where we need them and where we want them to be. Did you learn about the, the grid? Because as I said, you designed three different grids. Yeah. At least three different grids. Did each one get more refined because yeah, of your knowledge? Yeah. Or, or, or and the ability it, of the hang stuff. And the, yeah. yeah. Like, at, like at the Market Arcade, everything was up in a false ceiling. And we had to get up into the false ceiling and find places to hang the grid from. Mm-hmm. And there was air ducts up there and other things. And so so we were kind of limited to what we could get down through the ceiling and, and hang and how much pipe we could buy at the time. And then when we moved to the Forbes, we took down that whole grid, took all the pipe with us over to the Forbes, bought more pipe, and had a little bit less functional grid there because there weren't as many places to hang. There were two battens hanging in the space already that went up into the ceiling, and we utilized those, just lowered them down a little bit. We added scaffolding on the side. So we did a lot of side lighting mm-hmm. and a little bit of top lighting, and so and a lot of balcony lighting because there was a, a nice balcony was a was a full spot to, to do lighting from, too. Yeah. So so by the time you got here, you were able to... I was like, we need to be able to put the one light where we need it. Right? <laughs> you know? and, and at the time, Scott, I think, was thinking that, yeah, we're going to have risers in, but maybe in the future we'll split the risers up and have two rows on the side, mm-hmm. and the whole space will be lit. Which so, they did for uh, the Antipodes. Right, yep, right. Yep, yep. So we added decks on the side. They were on right. The- 
so I, I put together a plan, and luckily there's there's three very large beams in this space that could handle a lot of weight. We check with engineering and the building people. Mm -hmm. And uh, we put in a system that suspends our entire grid off six points off of those three beams. Oh, I see. Actually, no, nine points. Okay. And then we also locked into the walls with a, a clamps to give it all rigidity. So the weight's being held by the, by the main beams, but then the grid doesn't move or shake because it's locked into the wall. And who did that? Was that Ellicott? Did they do that? You designed it and they built it? No, actually, we, we did it ourselves. And really? So, and so me and, and, again, Harry Mandris was uh, the lighting guy from, from UB's. Yeah. Uh, he, he was a big help in that. Ellicott did some of the prep work for us and mm -hmm. put in some of the, the uh, stuff on the sides. But that was just like, that was that was what I do. I hang stuff for a living. So, that, <laughs> so like, as the head carpenter, as the head rigger, as the head flyman, yeah, yeah. that was right up my alley. I told Scott, this is the gear we need, and we bought it, and, and we kept incorporating everything from the previous theater. So all the pipe came down from yeah. Forbes, yeah. came over here. <laughs> you added to we, it. We bought some more truss, we bought clamps, we bought the more steel cable to hang stuff. This space is an accumulation of stuff from all of our theaters up to this point. Wow. Okay, last question. Well, maybe not the last question, but very close. What's your least favorite thing about designing a show? Is it the reading of the script? In other words, at the beginning of the season, not at the beginning, at the end of the previous season, Scott hands you five scripts or four or whatever it's going to be. Do you dread that? No, because I don't read the scripts. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> kidding, Scott. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Lighting designers kind of come late to the process, mm -hmm. you know, and not always the case. But in general, the director and the set designer are talking early on because they're really key to to figuring out the environment that the director wants to place this thing in. Whether the play says it takes place on a bare stage with two chairs. Mm -hmm. Lucas was very clear about this play, mm -hmm. about what should exist on the stage, right? Yes. Other plays are not so clear, you know, and they, there's a lot of leeway for the director and a set designer to really kind of take it in a different direction mm -hmm. that doesn't damage the story of the play. Maybe it aug augments it somehow, right? And then lighting tends to come in late in the process and starts to have conversations about, you know, how does light interact in this space? And that's not to say that I'm not invited to take place early on. I have been in those conversations. I do talk to the designers and, and to the directors. Most times set and directors are working first, mm -hmm. you know, to start to create that world. Yeah. But as far as like what what I don't, it was, was it my, What's my your least favorite? Least favorite part. That's a good question. I, I Well, there could be, you have none. You enjoy every every uh, step of the way. I, you know what? I, I think my least favorite part is only when communication breaks down. Hmm. And it's, this especially happens with, with newer directors or, or directors you haven't worked with before and other designers you haven't worked with before. And so maybe you can have all the meetings in the world, but if you don't have a shorthand language with these other people, mm -hmm that develops over years of working with them. Like, so if you're working with new people, yes. you don't always know if you're speaking the same language. So it's like if you could say, hey, I'm going to do A, B, and C. Is that cool? It's like, oh, yeah, that's great. And then you do A, B, and C, and the director on the first day of tech is like... Oh, that's not what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. I'm like, what? What? We had this conversation, and, it's, <laughs> and I and I really feel bad for set designers, too, who build, who take the time to build models. That's what I was going to ask and, you. About. And show them. And expect feedback of like, yay, nay, this is, you know, this, this works. Right. And I think a lot of directors don't know how to look at models. Like a model, it, it, you shouldn't just, you shouldn't stare down on it. You should look at it from the perspective of an audience. Mm -hmm. You got to get it up to your eye. And even, even as you're looking at a model, 
it suggested that you should close one eye because your face in front of a model is like two patrons 10 feet apart. Mm. You know, so so you really want to get that stereo. Yeah. So you 3D. really so if you're close to a model, you want to look at it with one eye. Hmm. And it comes back to like that whole idea of like thinking from an audience perspective. So so not only looking at it with one eye, but looking at it from where's the audience sitting. So you really got to play that game too. Mm-hmm. If you're gonna if you're gonna look at a model, don't look at it from to scale a thousand feet back. You know, look at it forty feet away. You know. So I, I think my least favorite thing is when communication breaks down, and it's almost too late to fix it. Yeah. Because of time and budget and space and money and you know and so there's so many things that could be solved ahead of time, if like the tools of of communication are. Everybody's on the same page with yes, you know, and and when you have a situation like this where you have so many, as you said, now you these instruments are, are capable of doing so many things, and the board, the computer board, is so is so capable of doing so many things. So you plan all this out, and then you get to a point where you have to change it, yeah, or which is a lot easier nowadays. It's easier, yes. but, but as you said, so, sometimes it's so not. So you would ask me ten years ago. I think maybe my least favorite thing would have been. When people make dis- change things on you, and you've got to change out twelve colors of gel in your front light system, and so you got to get the ladders out again, the scaffolding out again. You know, <laughs> you got to touch every light. But now I just need to touch a couple buttons That's amazing. and spin some dials. And so, like, so like when we when we start to see the costumes, like like if the colors don't work with the costumes, now I can just I can go grab the hue and the saturation and just like tweak it just a little bit, you know, and like make quick changes. Do you think, okay, I swear to God, this is the last question. Do you subscribe to the theory that lighting is the best lighting if you don't really notice it? Yeah. Yeah. People but, should appreciate the whole experience, yeah. but they shouldn't walk out. See, that's my problem when I go see a show because I, I am so fascinated by tech. Yeah. So when I go in, I, I often end up doing this. Oh, oh, that's cool. oh, yeah. How'd they do that? Oh, that I'm looking over my shoulder. It's like me at Disney on a ride. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. you're just like, you're looking up and like. But you shouldn't, it, uh, it shouldn't take on a life of its own where it just, it, it actually, you say, you it, talk. Well, yeah, it, 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 I, it should be the air that the audience breathes too. It should be the, the collective just experience of that individual time that an audience and a performer are together. But I have a hard time though too not noticing tech. You know, and and just I, I I actually have a hard time sitting in an audience too. Like it's like a lot of times I I get what I call pho- phobia, front of house phobia, which is <laughs> which is the feeling of sitting in a venue yeah. that I have no access to backstage. <laughs> so like so if I if yeah. I'm in a theater, I know I can get backstage, I feel fine. Yeah, yeah. But if like if I'm in the public and I can't go backstage, I get a little antsy. But but. <laughs> But I also do the same thing. I my my eye wanders, and that's what your eye is going to do as a as an audience member. Your eye is going to wander, and that's one of the jobs of a lighting designer, to create the thing on stage that you want people to look at. You know, and it's also I mean that's everybody's job from the lighting set designer, costume designer, director, choreographer, and even the writer. You know, it's just like it's like what are we supposed to look at, and why is it failing? If somebody's being distracted and looking at something else, you know? to, to create yeah. a solid illusion yeah. that is unified into one vision. Right, right, yeah. and and that's not to say the audience members should be admonished for looking away, because I think every audience. This is another thing too. I wish audience members realized is they have every right to look at whatever they want to look at. Don't don't feel like coming to a show is a chore, is a duty. <laughs> you know, it's like come to the show and be entertained, be fascinated by. Find interest in whatever strikes your fancy as you're sitting there, and if it's if it's the way shadows are falling off stage, 
Look at that. If that's mm-hmm. what, if that is more interesting to you than the show, that's that's not a problem in you. No. You know, it might be a problem with the show. It, <laughs> a buddy of mine used to say, hey, look, if they're looking at the shadows over there, you got bigger problems. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Now, let's leave it on that note, John. Thanks sure. very much. This was uh, everything I hoped it would be and, and beyond. Oh, good. And I have a thousand other questions I haven't Excellent. asked, but we'll do part two. Have we started recording? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Right, right. And then the lights go out, and I thought, uh-oh. It, oh, never mind. I don't want to give anything away. Hey, John Rickus, lighting designer for Road Less Traveled Productions, has been there from the very beginning. What a talented guy. What a fun guy. Worked with him many times and have always enjoyed that opportunity. As I said during the interview, I really admire craftsmen, people who know what they're doing, and John Rickus is... A craftsman, a man who knows what he's doing and shares it with all of us. Oh, and I did want to tell you that when I was at the theater last night, this lady sitting in front of me turned around and said, Peter, oh, I just wanted to tell you how much I'm enjoying your podcast. I thought, really? That's wonderful. Because, you know, frankly, I don't know if anybody's listening at all most of the time. But just to have someone turn around and and tell me that they enjoyed it, that really meant a lot to me. So thank you. That was very nice of you. And that's it for this episode of Off-Road. Listen, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. We'll have another great interview for you then. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy this lovely spring weather. And I hope you look forward to seeing The Thin Place at Road Less Travels Theater 456 Main Street, go to roadlesstraveledproductions.org and get yourself a ticket for a fun, interesting, fascinating, spooky experience. It runs Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights, and Sunday afternoons through March 26th. And holy cow, I almost forgot to tell you to enjoy the new bar. It is beautiful. What a love. I went there early. I sat at the bar. I had a drink. I sat on one of the sofas. I had conversations with friends. It was great. You'll love it. I'll see you there. Or I'll see you right here on Off-Road with me, Pete Pomisano. Pomisano.